Good morning, everyone. I was getting made fun of earlier because I walk up too soon and then I walk up too late. I am Rob Jacobson, if we've never met before. I'm so glad you're here today because I really, truly believe that God uh, wants to speak to each of us today. And, and today I start with a question, a situation, if you will. Do you remember that time in school where maybe someone made a bet with you or maybe your parents promised you something where if you could bring back a certain number of good grades, you would get something in the end? Well, this little scene that we're about to watch, kind of a retro one, but it gives us, brings us back to those moments of when we had these dreams that were right in front of us. Take a look. $50 for this, which is a bargain. These are pretty cool. These are my grandfather's glasses. I haven't quite gotten them appraised yet, but they've seen many cool things. Are you going to sell me his liver? Mr. Witwicky, this isn't show and sell. It's the 11th grade. I don't think your grandfather would be particularly proud of what you're doing. I know. I'm sorry. I just, you know, this is all going towards my car fund. You can tell your folks it's on eBay. I take PayPal. Cold hard cash works, too. And, and the Compass makes a, a great gift for Columbus Day. Sam. Sorry. Um, unfortunately, my great-great-grandfather, the genius that he was, well, I'm going blind and crazy in a psycho ward, drawing these strange symbols and babbling on about some uh, giant ice man that he thought he discovered. Okay, might be a pop quiz tomorrow, might not. Sleep in fear tonight. 50, 40, Sam. 30. Yeah. Sorry, sorry. Okay. Pretty good, right? Uh, I'd say a solid B minus. A B minus? You were. Hawking your great-grandfather's crap in my classroom. Now, kids enjoy... Look, can you do me a favor? Can you look out the window for a second? You see my father? He's yeah. the guy in the green car. Okay, I want to tell you about a dream. A boy's dream. And a man's promise to that boy. He looked at me in the eye. He said, son, I'm going to buy you a car. But I want you to bring me $2,000 and three A's. Okay? I got the $2,000 and I got two A's. Okay, here's the dream. Your B minus, dream gone. Kaput. Sir, just ask yourself, what would Jesus do? We'll come back to that later, potentially. But for some of us, we don't have to think back very far to the B minus or the C minus or the A minus. That moment where this dream that we thought we had popped. Or for some of us, that dream that was crushed. You know, we might smirk or scoff at a Transformers clip because it's old, because it's silly. Uh, but. The reality is so many of us live with this reality of crushed dreams. These things that we thought we could see that we used to think were possible and now we get a little older, we get a little smarter, we get a little broker and we realize maybe those things aren't going to become a reality. We try and try and try and try and, and those things don't seem to be coming. Or, or outside of us there are just people or problems or some pain that are crushing our dreams. And some of us forget how to dream. Next week, we're going to hear a story about a, a person in our church who was filled with pain. In fact, she almost died from the people and the problems and the pain. And yet, she pulled out of that, and we'll hear why this person pulled out of that, and why they're so full of life now. And it's going to be a great story. But, but it got me to thinking about this week, what does someone with crushed dreams look like? Can you tell? Like, is there some mark on their head? You know, my, when I was younger, we used to do this, like, 
thing like this where we call ourselves dorks or something. I think I'm doing it wrong, so I'm doing it to myself. But, but maybe we thought, maybe you think like there's just a mark on someone's head that says dreams crushed. But the reality is that they look like you and me or this person we'll talk about next week. They're no different. They're no special or more, speci- more special or less special. They're walking around with some pain. Maybe they're hiding it well. We have a phrase, there's always pain behind the porch. They're just kind of meandering through life. And yet, deep down, they don't feel much life. How can we go beyond that moment? In fact, when those moments become seasons and those seasons feel like a lifetime, how can we have the momentum, God's momentum, that can really bring us to this place where not only we can live again, but we could dream again? That's what we're talking about today, and that's what I think the Bible shows us is this way to have real, true hope. Hope that goes way beyond the moment, way beyond the circumstance. A hope that fills and flows through our life. We've been talking about this in this series of momentum, of starting and growing and continuing to grow, continuing to go into these places where God would keep us moving, keep us in his flow. Um, This movement being the center of Jesus' life, his death and his resurrection. And we talked about needing to be needing to be the one to say, yes, I need to recharge my spiritual batteries. I've got to spend time with God. I'm the only one who can decide that. You and I have to choose that. We talked about replacing burnout with balance, this idea that if we create some margin in our life, which is hard work, but if we can do it, we can make some white space, then we can actually have the ability to keep calm with God's presence because he gives us his peace. Next, we talked about raising our faith, this idea that when we recognize Jesus' faithfulness in all the places of his life, we start to see those places in our life, and we start to realize that it doesn't really depend on our faith. It really depends on Jesus' faith, and and then our own faith expands and grows. And we start to think about these places of what could be these dreams, but yet we face situations where we become isolated or we become lonely. And so we talked about the principle that we can't run alone or we can't walk alone we've got to refuse to do that we've got to make room for other people in our lives and this week we come to this place where we just look at the reality that so many of us face when the momentum just stops and we've done everything we can and we've come up short what happens well it happened to friends of mine in february of 2011 my friends decided that they were going to talk to their, their three, three biological children that are, uh, ironically, all the same ages as ours. And, and both, they lost both their moms, um, one right after and one right before they got married. So um, they've dealt with loss, and they talked about their dream of adopting children. And their three biological children were so excited. So in February of 2011, they tell us that they told our kids and how they were going to move forward to make this dream a reality. They'd been saving money. And so later that year, they begin conversations with an adoption agency in Haiti. And in April of 2012, they accepted the referral for two twin boys. They were just full of life. Their, their birth parents brought them in. Their mom was sick, which is why they brought them in. 
and eight days later she died. They were three months old at the time, of, or they were about six months old at the time of the referral. Not only that, three months later they get to actually go down to Haiti, their whole family, see their boys, they get their names, first name and last name. They become part of my friend's family. And now, it's just June of 2012. All they have to do is work with the U.S. Citizenship and Integration Services Department at the U.S. Embassy in Haiti and um, just to approve that final paperwork and bring their boys home. And, you know, you, you just need to think about how, how long would it take? You know, it's Haiti. It's not that big of a country. Um, and it's the U.S. Embassy. The U.S. Embassy is not that big in Haiti. So how long would it take for the, the USCIS, that's what that big department is called, so the USCIS, an adoption agency, and an adoption lawyer. How long would it take to finalize and approve paperwork? Long time. Two years later, we went to go visit them a couple weeks ago. They're still waiting for their boy. For nine months, they've been told their paperwork has been approved those nine-month-old boys are now two years and nine months. And I've watched people go from having faith to vision to hope to weariness, discouragement, anger. Bitterness has started to set in and almost despair. It's like watching a car get a flat tire and still drive and then another flat tire and still drive and another flat tire and still drive and another flat tire and still drive and yet it's barely moving. Most people would stick in despair, but not my friends. No, they've approached despair, and yet they've continued to believe. They've continued to move forward. They've continued to have this momentum that is beyond themselves. It's this hope that is bigger than wishful thinking. It's a true hope, and it can be ours too. We see it in the scriptures, and I, I saw it in their life. And so today we look at how to have that kind of hope. We're in Mark 5. We've been spending a lot of time in Mark as we've looked at this idea of momentum. If you've gotten a Bible from us that's blue, it's page 816. We can know this hope even when it looks like there's no hope. Starting in verse 21. The text says that when Jesus had again crossed over by the boat, to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was still by the lake, and then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came. And when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, and he pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will live. So Jesus went with him. And now a large crowd was following. There'd been a large crowd following for, for pretty much as often as they've crossed the lake to get away from the people to have a little margin in their life. And so you've got to picture not just a large crowd, you've got to picture New Orleans and Mardi Gras season. 
wall-to-wall people crushing in on each other. And so in this midst of this large crowd pressing in around him, there's a woman who'd been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She'd suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. And yet instead of becoming better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and she touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. In this text, there are two huge dreams that are crushed by two completely, completely different people. The first person that we see in this scene, or that the text really brings to light, is this na- man named Jarius. Now, Jarius, he says, is a synagogue ruler. It's more like he's the president of the synagogue. So Justin was up here. Justin's the chair of our church leadership team. So it's kind of a guy like Justin, the chair of the leadership team. Now, he's known. He's got high status. He's respected. He's probably wealthy. He has religion on his side, you could say. And yet, he comes to Jesus, he bows and he begs for his only daughter. Now, women were not always treated well in the time of Jesus. And yet, when someone was known and respected and powerful, there was plenty of blessing for those little girls. And this girl, who should have been fully alive, was nearly dead. And he has no other option. He needs a miracle, and he goes to Jesus. Then in the midst of this scene, there's this this intrusion, this interruption, because that never happens in our life, right? This interruption of this unnamed, unknown woman who's completely broke. She doesn't have any money. She is an outcast. She's been bleeding, and so if you're bleeding, you are unclean according to the religious law, the religious customs. And so she's not supposed to be with people. She's not supposed to touch people, and they're not supposed to touch her. And this has been going on for 12 years. Now, I'm sure there's a reference to Israel in the midst of that, but, but that's a long time. And she's tried everything. She's medically bankrupt. She spent all she has on experimental drugs and experimental surgeries and experimental doctors. And, you know, it's interesting that that Luke, who also writes about this scene, Luke's a doctor, he leaves this part out. That she has suffered under the care of doctors. The people who are supposed to bring healing to her have not brought healing to her. In fact, she's a woman who should be dead, if we're honest. And yet somehow she's still alive. And she needs a miracle. I I will say this time and time again. The Bible is full of skilled writers who, yes, have been inspired by God. But you cannot paint a more different picture of two people who both need the same thing. And both of them are experiencing dreams that are being crushed in their midst. So if you want to know true hope, what do they have in common? Why would the writer intrude this story? Because there's something in common. Something that he wants us to see. Something that God is trying to show us in the midst of this. And that's, first of all, this. You've got to start with a faith. 
If you want to know hope, you've got to start with faith. What do I mean by that? I mean something beyond me or something beyond you. That's what faith is. It's having trust or depending on someone or something beyond me. You know, even in the silly movie clip, Sam Wiki, it was trusting his teacher for his grade. Which didn't work so well at that moment. But for my friends, in their adoption adventure, uh, it was trusting someone in the U.S. Embassy or someone in the Haitian government or someone in the adoption world to, to be an advocate for them. They had to look beyond themselves. But in those moments... For each of us, we need to not only ask beyond me or think beyond me, we have to wonder beyond my resources. See, see, this woman had spent all she had. She tried everything and went to Jesus. I'm guessing, guessing, Jarius also tried all he had and went to Jesus. My friends had money from their moms passing away. They'd spent all they had. All they could spend. And they loved Jesus And they still love Jesus. But it was easy to have faith beyond themselves. It was very hard to have faith beyond their resources. Because then they were being told that there was just one more piece of paperwork when there was not supposed to be one more piece of paperwork. They were told, you know, maybe you should just hire another adoption attorney. Get a different lawyer involved. But we've spent all we can on them. They were literally out of options. When we think about our dreams and we think about this this idea of dreaming big or or maybe you know we just had graduations, whether it's high school or college, there's always some there's always some address, there's always some speech that that encourages us to look beyond ourselves and look into the future, to focus on those pieces of our life where we can change the world. And we we can in a manner of speaking. But it's got to go beyond us. In fact, I would say that God wants us to know that it's got to go beyond our resources too, because then it's still about us. God doesn't want it to be about us. God wants it to be about him. And so sometimes that means that it's got to go further into this place where we're not sure what to do. Sure, it starts with faith, but it's got to move to depending on Jesus. Not just beyond me, not just beyond my resources, but depending on Jesus. Practically, in 2014, you might say, what does that mean? Because it just feels too abstract. If I really want to know true hope, if, if I'm in a situation where, where I need a job, or if my friends just all left. I, maybe I just graduated or I just moved and so all of my friendships are changing. I need something now, practically, and just saying, depending on Jesus, that seems too abstract. 
Well, I think practically, it's going to sound a little bit abstract to start. When we depend on Jesus, we open our eyes to what God can do. See, faith leads to vision. If it's true faith, it leads to vision. Vision is this what-could-be idea. Vision is the ability to see what could be. Not just what could be in wishful thinking, but in terms of what God could do. That's how it goes from the theoretical to the practical, because we've got to be active participants in this. Our eyes have to be open physically. Our eyes have to be open spiritually. We need to see and sense where God might be working and what he might be doing. And we've got to think beyond ourselves. We've got to think beyond our resources and look at the possibilities. See, faith leads to vision for Jarius. He knows that his little daughter is dying and that she will die if someone doesn't help. And he sees Jesus and he runs to him and he bows and he begs for him to heal her because he knows he can. Faith leads to vision for this bleeding woman. She, when she hears about Jesus, she doesn't care if there's a crowd. She doesn't care if she's not supposed to touch people. She thinks, if this is the Savior, if this is the Messiah, then even if I just touch his clothes, I can be healed. There's a saying in Malachi, it's one of the Jewish prophets, that says that the Messiah's healing will spread to his corners. It stretches to the corners. Some people think that means like the sun's rays stretch to the edges of the earth. Some people think it stretches to the edge of their religious clothing. These little tassels and, and, and holy threads that are sewn into the fabric. And so when she does this, she is making a statement of faith that leads to vision. God could heal. What could be? You know, again, in a kind of a silly way, it was, it was Sam getting up the courage to tell the story, to see what it could be, to go up to his history professor when he hears the B minus and say, let me tell you about a dream, about a dream of a boy and a father, a dream of getting $2,000 and three A's. I got two A's. Somewhat persuasive in a silly way. And yet others of us, have real pain and real problems that are not part of a movie set. For my friends, it was saying, God, you told us. It just seems so clear. Our, our biological children, though young, seem so excited. We sold our house. We, we made room for these boys. We've, we've, we've bought them. We've named them. The colors are painted in their room. The bedspread is filled with stuffed animals. Any kid would want to jump on those beds. And yet it says, Elijah and Judah on the wall. It's reserved just for them. Some of you maybe have that room in your house that you've reserved for kids and they just never came. Some of you have situations where you've had a kid and they've lived with you and they've run away. Spiritually, they've they just run. Relationally, they've run. Literally, they've run. Some of you have had jobs where where you thought it was this dream job and it's it's gone. Or this relationship, you, you thought this person might have been the one and, 
and they're gone. And in those moments, do we still have the ability to see what God could do? See, as I've thought about this whole adventure of starting a church and planting a church and growing, there have been amazing stories, some of which you'll hear in a couple weeks at the vision meeting, some of which are just still like rolling around and I'm trying to pull them out of my soul. People that that I never thought would come to understand who Jesus is. Others that I never pictured being invited. Others that I thought would, that haven't joined. And yet, in the midst of it, in the midst of leadership changing and and needing to depend on other people, sometimes they say, hey, I'm going to shuffle out and end my leadership term. Sometimes they say, hey, I'm going to find a new job and I'm going to move across the country. Um, And rather than panicking, or overmanaging, which probably would be my natural default. I'm praying. And I'm saying, God, you are in charge. You're leading this crew, so what could you do? It has been so fun to hear the answers and to hear the nudgings and to see these doors open and go, I don't know, this could be. This could be. Someone else steps up. Another opportunity arises. And, and instead, it's more of this anticipatory joy rather than this little life meandering around without any clue of what to do. See, these two people in this story know their only hope is Jesus and they run to him. Do we, in the moments of faith and vision, think running to Jesus is part of the step? It has to be. It has to be. We got to remember this. God's momentum is never hindered by our circumstances. It's never hindered by our circumstances. And some of you are in tough circumstances. I'm not trying to paint it away because if we just wanted halfway hope, then we could just stop now and we could say a little prayer and we could sing a nice song and and we could be done. But halfway hope does not lead to true hope. True hope comes from faith that leads to vision. And if we want that vision to actually produce true hope, we have to pay a cost. It says in the text, in verse 29, that immediately when she touched, her, when she touched Jesus' clothing, immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. And at once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. Healing costs Jesus some of his power. Some of you have paid way more than I know. Some of you have moved to start things and they haven't started. Some of you have dreamt things and they haven't come to pass. Some of you have have paid in terms of kids, like we mentioned. Kids who have left. Some of you have parents who have left. And yet, some of you have kids who will never leave. They're just probably going to be in your home 
and in your lives, and you might think, why? Why, God? And yet in those moments, maybe God is saying, I chose you. Can you see what could be with this child? Can you see what could be with these parents who are crazy? Could you see what could be with this roommate? With this relationship that isn't supposed to work? Can you see beyond the cost? And you might think, oh, I don't know, I don't know about this cost thing. Jesus' kingdom stories in Matthew 13 say, hey, when there's a treasure in the field, Jesus said the kingdom of God is like that, like a treasure in a field. And when the man finds it or the woman finds it, they bury it back in the field. They go and sell everything they can to buy the field. That's what the kingdom of heaven is like. Again, Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a pearl of great price, a a jewel of infinite value. And when he finds it, He sells everything he has to buy it. With joy, he does this. There's always a cost. Now, sometimes we can't pay. We run out of resources. Mark, who's an abbreviated writer, he writes quickly. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't waste time with certain details in the story, and yet he stops here and he writes more than anyone else does on this woman. He talks about her suffering. He talks about the doctors. Why? Because Mark knows there's a cost to true hope. He wants us to know that she's paid much. She's bled. She's spent all she has. She's lonely. She's been removed from the community. Coming to Jesus could have resulted in ridicule or death. She's paid much. Because sometimes, some people pay way more than others. It is not a fair exchange system. And because Jesus' kingdom hasn't yet come fully to this earth and materialized in every way, shape, and form, we will still face injustice that does not make sense to us. We will still see pain that doesn't make sense to us. We will still see people pay unfairly sometimes, or in our minds, unjustly sometimes. And yet, and yet, sometimes, Jesus pays our cost. What dreams in your life have bled away? Just kind of slowly trickled out. What dreams in your life have gone bankrupt? You've tried and tried and tried and spent and spent and spent, but it hasn't worked. What dreams have been ridiculed? You know, I could, oh, that's stupid. What dreams are pretty much dead? God gave you this idea. God gave you this vision. And yet, it's so buried, it feels like you've suffered 12 years. It's so close to death, that it feels like you're losing a child. And I don't say that lightly. 
think about my friends who, who are just sitting and waiting because that's all they can do. So they called everyone they could to pray. So they said, you know what? Even if it takes us flying down, one of us flying down and sitting in the embassy in the citizenship and immigration services building until they process our paperwork, we'll sit and wait. They just got the letter. Their boys come home soon. June 18th, they got the letter. Two years later, someone showed up. True hope arrived. Someone paid the cost. Someone did the extra work. Someone outside of their resources and beyond themselves went and did the right thing and passed the right form into the right places. And it doesn't always work that way. Sometimes people live through cancer and sometimes people die through cancer and it doesn't seem to make sense. But God paves the way for us to find true hope, for people to have a restored life. The woman, knowing what had happened, she came up to Jesus and she fell trembling in fear, the text says. But she told him the whole story. Do you realize this woman probably hasn't had true, intimate conversation for years? And in the midst of this crowd, Jesus stops and brings her forward and she bows trembling and he says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Daughter, he... Mark, the writer, never uses daughter anywhere else in the story. I mean, where, speaking of daughter, where was this woman's family? She had been abandoned, completely alone. Looks like there's no hope, and yet she knew hope. She understood hope. When she fell before Jesus' feet, he lifted her to her feet. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Because faith that leads to vision and vision that leads to true hope, even if it has to pay a cost, will lead us into God's momentum. It will help us focus and refocus on that future, on that vision, on that thing that God could do, on that place that God could take you, on the life that God wants you to live in Him. It was a quiet, quiet, quiet walk for this guy, this ruler this well-respected man. As messengers came and said, your daughter's dead, just leave the teacher alone. Where Jesus dismisses the crowds, leave nine of his disciples there to make sure the crowd doesn't follow and walks with his closest three and this man, this broken-hearted man who doesn't know the rest of the story, who didn't read ahead. It's quiet. And in his mind, he's going, God, the woman who should have been dead lives, and my daughter, who should be alive, she's not even 12, she is dead. How do I have true hope in this situation? How can I even walk back? As they hear the, the flutes playing, and flutes were played always, always flutes were played for death. It was a death march home. And yet, Jesus says, Interrupting the messengers, don't be afraid. Just believe. Don't be afraid. Just believe. Where have those places in those dreams that you think died, God would say to you, don't be afraid. Just believe. 
depend on Jesus, that can lead to what God could be and what God could possibly do. And when we go there, even if we don't have to pay it, even if we can't pay it, if we're willing to pay it, sometimes we have to pay it. Sometimes God pays it. When God made the world, when he dreamt of what this creation could be, this this world filled with life and wonder and splendor and filled with his glory and having relationships, true relationships, true community with human beings that could be in a place where there wouldn't be shame and there wouldn't be pain and there wouldn't be hurt, that there would just be joy and love and life and, and, and good jokes. Um, that people would laugh at without drums. And, you know, all of these places where God could work and live, and then we screwed up. And then God says, I have a dream. I have a dream where I will send my best. I have a dream where my son will come to earth and he will teach these people how to live. He will teach them what I meant with my law and my instruction and my love. I will teach them. I will send him. He will, he will pay. He will pay. And as Jesus walked that road to Calvary, and he let soldiers nail him to a cross, I, I just wonder if God's dream was still big. If there was any momentum lost, or if he just said, this is, this is my dream. It's happening. It's real. I'm going to pay the cost. It's going to be worth it, even through the pain. And Jesus gives us Easter. Not as a bunny, not as chocolate, but as true momentum in our lives where life change can happen, where new life begins, where dead things become alive. That's what it means to have big dreams. Friends, that's why we started this church. This idea that life could come from death. I mean, we're restoring hope, true hope. Where are those dead places for you? In your relationships or in your family, where do you need hope restored? This is how you find it. Having a faith that leads to vision, having a vision that leads to what God could be and what we might have to pay. But thank God, he pays all the time. And when he pays we find momentum that leads to the future. We're going to talk more about this idea of vision and and the plans that we have in a couple weeks. I invite you to stay for that July 13th. But today, as you look at your own life and you look at your own dreams, what is God saying to you? Where is he asking you to work? What do you need to pray for? We would love to pray with you. I'd love to have people just... When, when you start conversations, when we end, that you just break into prayer. Maybe you'll go over to the prayer space and say, I can't pray this anymore. I've prayed this and prayed this and prayed this. Will you pray this for me? That's where my friends got to. They just said, we're done. We can't pray anymore. We need everybody else to pray. And they did. How about we pray? God, we know that stories don't always have happy endings in our lives, but I thank you for these stories of two different people, two different people who had their dreams crushed, who then received life. God, hope restored. They could refocus for their future. God, you gave them vision back to dream again, 
And some of us need your vision to dream again. So speak to us, Holy Spirit. Speak to us about where we're at and why we're at where we're at. Do we need faith that goes beyond us and goes beyond our resources? Have we really stopped looking for where you could work? Maybe we've been too stuck where we could work. Maybe we haven't thought seriously about the cost, or maybe we're just weary of paying it. God, would you give us encouragement today? Would you give us hope for today? True hope, God. We don't want to just be a place that says, God loves you, go home. God, we want to be a place that says, because God loves you, dream big. What could our lives be individually and together? God, you answer prayer all the time. Speak to us now.